Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. If you have your Bibles, I'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Before I get going, uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Do we have anybody in the audience today that served in our armed forces? Would you just lift your hand right where you are? Let's give these individuals a hand. Thank you so much for service to our country. Uh, we appreciate it very, very much, and I pray that uh, tomorrow as we celebrate Veterans Day that you will take time as an individual and as a family to thank the Lord for those men and women in uniform who serve our country faithfully. I also want to let you know that there is a new life group that has begun today during this hour. Uh, Scott and Jill Anderson are beginning a new life group. It's really focused. If you have children in the elementary age range, that life group is really focused on you, kind of the way that our services wound up dividing was if you have children that are in junior high or high school, the 945 time frame uh, might work very well for you. If you don't have kids in the home or that's not a concern, you might go whichever service you want to. But if you have kids that are in preschool or in elementary school, the 11 o'clock is going to be really geared for that life stage. We're going to be emphasizing the children quite a bit in the 11 o'clock and periodically doing some family-style worship in 11 o'clock as well. So I wanted to let you know uh, about that and also let you know about that new life group that is starting. It'll be going every week at 945. So uh, if that works for you, then uh, give it a try. I think you will enjoy it. We're in this series uh, called Turkey Lakes. And the subtitle is Getting Thanksgiving Back on Its Feet. As we come into this time of the year where we are grateful, we come into this time of the year where we think about Christmas and New Year's, family and all the activity that goes with the holiday season, for many of us, we have very, very full lives and empty souls. For many of us, the holiday season just means a lot of stuff, and we never really stop and really focus on What does it mean to be a grateful person? So I'm really excited about this series because I think it really deals with a lot of the practicalities that I know I face in my life, and I'm sure you face them in your life as well. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 5, a massive passage of Scripture, and we talked about our foundation of gratitude is God and how we as Christians should have a natural gratitude that flows through our lives because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has demonstrated His love for us. He has extended His grace to us. And seeking first the kingdom of God, worshiping God, that becomes the foundation of our gratitude. Back in my prime, I was a track runner. I used to run track and could run like Forrest Gump. And man, I I, I enjoyed running. And there were three big lessons in track that you had to make sure that you remembered. Number one, you needed to stay in your lane. Number two... You needed to run your race. You couldn't run anybody else's race. You needed to have a plan, and you needed to run your race. And number three, when you were running, you don't want to look around. You don't want to see where everybody else is. You want to stay in your lane and run your race. And if you violated those basic rules of track, more than likely you were going to lose the race. Well, most of us in life, every day, We engage in a behavior that is causing us to lose. 
It's causing us to live life without ever reaching the finish lines, without ever really feeling a sense of satisfaction and gratitude in our lives. And what we are doing is we are playing the comparison game. God blesses us. He brings into our life people that love us. He blesses our life with relationships. He gives us things. He gives us the basics of life, things like food, water, uh, shelter. Uh, We have salvation. We have a church family. We have grace. We have basically all the things that we need to be grateful people. God has provided you with everything you need to be a thankful person. But what happens is we don't stay in our lane. We don't live our life. We don't run our race. We start looking around and seeing this person's life and this person's family and this person's career. And instead of living our life, we do the comparison game. And we never win in the comparison game. Now, I know in my life, this, this has been a, a challenge. Growing up uh, and even through adulthood, uh, being one of those er people has always been a challenge for me. An er person is this. You're pretty good at that, but I want to be better than you. All right, you've, you've, uh, you're, you're pretty smart, but I want to be smarter than you. We try to be funnier than somebody else. We try to be wiser. We try to have more things, healthier. And we're always consumed with this idea of I want to be better than the people around me. And we frequently use those individuals as mirrors to see Am I okay? Do I measure up to them? In young adult life, you, you see this happen a lot as a young couple falls in love, or, and then they think, okay, well, well we need to make sure we have this. Uh, we, need to, we need a new house. We need a new car. We need to make sure that we have the proper education. We need to have the proper clothing. We need to have the proper look. And, and all these different things that we try to collect and have so that we can present the image that we're successful. We have it all together, and we're often trying to present that image to people that don't even care about us, and we don't really even care about them. In fact, a lot of times we don't even like them, but we're trying to impress them. Now, I know this never happens with kids, does it? God blesses you with kids, and you start having those conversations. Hmm, did you know that my little daughter, Aldebaran, walked at the age of six months? Well, really? Well, my son, Bankston, he was potty trained at one year of age. Oh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Hmm, that's an interesting. Well, Aldebaran's already been accepted to Stanford. In fact, she has a scholarship. Bankston doesn't? Oh, what a shame. <laughs> and inside you're going, yes! <laughs> you know, I upped them. And I know that never happens in parenting, does it? Where you want your children to be more successful than your neighbor's children, or more successful than your sister's children, or more successful than, 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 than maybe what you were whenever you were young. And so you play that comparison game. Now, here's the result. If you live your life that way, you're never grateful. You, you never feel full. You never win. It's a treadmill existence because you're always striving and you're sabotaging all of the contentment and the gratitude that God wants you to have because you're constantly playing the comparison game. There will always be somebody smarter than you. There will always be somebody that's 
prettier, somebody that's more physically fit. There will always be somebody that's richer than you, somebody that's more successful, somebody whose kids or grandkids don't have the quirks that yours do. There will always be somebody out there that is better than what you are. And as long as you're living your whole life comparing yourself to them, you're always going to be disappointed. Now, I was asking myself this question uh, as I was putting together the series. I wanted to talk about this subject because I know I've wrestled with it, and I'm assuming that quite a few of you wrestle with it as well, the comparison game. And so what's a passage of Scripture that really deals with this that we can dive or sink our teeth into? I was listening to Andy Stanley preach, and he covered Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and while he was talking, I was like, that's the passage. That's what we need to, as a church family, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, because Solomon speaks directly to this issue of playing the comparison game in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, if you don't know much about Solomon, Solomon is not an Ur guy. Solomon is an Est guy. Okay, Solomon was not just wiser than other people. He was the wisest. He wasn't just richer than other people. He was the richest. He had everything. He was the richest, the wisest, the most successful. He had it all together. I mean, this guy had anything that you wouldn't wanted to collect in life. He had it. Bill Gates would go to Solomon for financial advice, okay? George Clooney would come to Solomon for tips on how to pick up women, okay? Nick Saban would come to Solomon to design football plays. Phil Robertson would come to Solomon for fishing tips, all right? This guy had it all together. He was the best at virtually everything he put his hand to. And so he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he says, I saw all the labor and all the skillful work and all skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. And then he says, this too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. So Solomon, this guy that has everything you could possibly have, he says, I look around and I see people working really hard. I see them going to work. I see them trying to develop their skills. I see them striving to do better and striving to be more, striving to have more. And I ask myself this question, why are they doing this? And Solomon says, the vast majority of the time, what's driving them is jealousy of my friend. I'm working here, I'm doing this, I'm striving, I'm collecting this, I'm trying to upgrade this, I'm wanting this, I'm stalking this on Amazon, I'm striving after all these things because I am jealous of my friend. I want to be like them. I want what they have. I want more. And the problem is, is that people are using others as mirrors to say, am I okay? Because if I don't have that, if I'm not like them, if I haven't collected this, then something's wrong with me. And so I play the comparison game. Now Solomon says this is futile. In fact, he describes it this way, a pursuit of the wind. A couple years ago, uh, we took the girls on a Friday to uh, Allen for a family fun day, and we went to the Purple Cow in Allen where they have hamburgers and ice cream. And so we had a 
a good family meal there, and we were headed back out to the car. It was just the girls and Stacy and me at that time, and we were getting the girls back into their car seats, and one of the girls had a, a little plastic ball that they had back in the back seat, and it was just one of those real light little balls, little plastic balls, and uh, it fell out of the car. Well, it was one of those spring days where the wind was blowing like 30, 40 miles per hour, and so that ball falls out, and then it gets caught up in the wind. Well, I'm dad. And my girls are like, ah, my ball's falling out. So what do you do? You start chasing it. So the ball's blowing this way, and I'm like running after it over here, and then the wind blows over here, and I'm like this, and I'm like going all over the place. I'm sure there was somebody in the parking lot going, isn't that the pastor of Murphy Road Baptist Church? You know, type stuff. I probably, I'm not kidding, I chased that thing for probably over a quarter of a mile. Finally, it gets lodged by this wall, and I'm able to pick it up and return it to the kids, and Dad's a hero, and it's like Rocky music was going off, you know. It was great, but, you know, that, that's what Solomon says this lifestyle is like. You're chasing the wind. It's futile. You're going here and there, and you don't know where it's going to blow, and you're just going crazy. Knocking yourself silly, I mean, knocking yourself out, because you're trying to be like some people that most of the time you don't even like. You say, okay, well, if I don't need to work hard, if I don't need to try to better myself, are you telling me, Lash, I just need to be a slacker? That, that sounds okay. I'll drop out of school. I'll hang out in my bathrobe. I'll live off my parents, play Xbox all day, and think I'm cool. Hey, I'm, I'm tough because I can push a button and blow that little guy on the screen up. Man, I'm a macho man, right? No, you're a boy of shades. But anyway, uh, I'm not saying that. That's not what Solomon says either. In fact, in verse 5, he says, The fool folds his arms and consumes his flesh. So Solomon says the, the answer is not to just go, Okay, I'll just give up then. I'll just kind of fold my arms and just look like some of you when we're singing, just you know, bored and apathetic and waiting for life to end. He says that's just a consumption of your flesh. You just are, are rotting. You're not living. You're just taking up space and taking in air. That's a foolish response. Verse 6, though. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Other translations say better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with strife and a pursuit of the wind. Now highlight this verse, okay? This is a refrigerator verse. This is a verse that can change your life and change your perspective. This guy who has it all tells me that I am better with one handful of stuff, one handful of blessing, plus peace and tranquility and calm in my life than I am with two handfuls of stuff and a life full of jealousy, strife, and selfishness. Did you catch all that? In fact, the two-handful lifestyle, this lifestyle that is constantly trying to fill everything up and you wish you could grow a third hand and consume more, Solomon says that's a pursuit of the wind. You'll never 
get there. You're better off having one hand that gladly receives the blessings of God so that you can have another hand open for the tranquility and peace and love that life has to offer than to spend all your life constantly grabbing for it, reaching for it, having to have more, comparing yourself to others. Powerful verse. And that verse kind of rocked my world this week whenever I saw it. That's one of those verses that if you would download that and live it, it can change everything. Well, now he continues to expound upon this. He says again, I saw the futility under the sun, and there is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. So who am I struggling for, he asked, and depriving myself of good? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. So Solomon says, I have this friend. I've seen this guy, and he's never pursued love. He's never really pursued relationships. He he doesn't really live life with people that he loves. He has no heir. In biblical culture, you couldn't leave your fortune to a woman. You could only leave it to a man. And this man has no son. He has no brother. So he has nobody to leave his stuff to. Solomon says there's no end to his struggles. He's always working. His calendar is full. He's always pursuing. He's always striving. He's always in motion. He's also wealthy. He has riches. But he's not content. In fact, he's miserable. And so the guy asks himself a couple of big questions. Number one, he says, so who am I struggling for? Who am I struggling for? Why am I doing this? Why am I constantly pushing for more? Why am I constantly trying to be like this person or better than this person? Who is it that I'm struggling for? Because most of these people that I'm struggling for, I don't even like them. Why am I trying to impress them? Number two, he says, why am I depriving myself of that which is really good? Now, this is important because we have to notice now where the good is found. Where is the peace found? Okay, so why am I depriving myself of that which is good? A lot of times we actually get confused about where the really good stuff in life is found. So look at the next section in in verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, this is a more familiar passage of Scripture. It's dealing with relationships, and so we often read this at weddings. We read it in marriage seminars, and it's one of those things that we zero in on. Solomon says two are better than one because there's a reward for their efforts. Uh, If one falls, his companion can lift him up. I have pity for the one that falls with nobody to lift him up. Uh, If one is cold, they lie down together and they can keep warm. Someone will give you a blanket. If someone overpowers one person, two can resist them. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken, so we take the husband and the wife and the Lord and that is a strong cord that is not easily broken and can withstand tension. All right? That's, that's 
That's the general preaching of that verse. It's generally uh, geared more towards marriage, and it's not inappropriate to gear it in that way. But remember verse 6. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. I think verses 9 through 12 give us an idea of what Solomon is talking about when he says better one handful with rest than two handfuls with a pursuit of the wind. One handful open to receive the blessings of God and the other hand open to receive the loving relationships that are in your life. It's been a while since I asked you this question. I try to ask you this question every now and then. Uh, Do you want to be more miserable than you already are? All right, let me tell you three ways that you can be more miserable than you already are. If you're not taking notes, this is a good time to take notes, okay? This will really help you in your misery index to raise it, okay? Number one, if you want to be more miserable than you already are, spend your entire life comparing yourself to others. Just spend your entire life comparing yourself to others, trying to be like those people that you want to be. Number two. Spend your life pursuing two handfuls of stuff and wishing that through some type of alien invasion you could grow a third handful, a third hand. Just spend your life pursuing two handfuls of stuff. I have to have more. I have to have it. And I wish I could just collect more. Number three, live your life with a full calendar and an empty soul. Fill up your calendar Put as many inputs as you can possibly put into your mind. I mean, constantly fill your life with activity and never take time to fill your soul. Never take time to worship. Never take time to enjoy the peace. Never take time to be a soulful individual. Do those three things and do them well. Do them every day and you can awaken the giant of misery within you. You too can be miserable. Now the scriptures teach us Instead of this, instead of living that way, pursue one handful of stuff and one handful of peace. Pursue and be thankful for what God has given you, but leave room in your life for peace and tranquility. Solomon says, work hard. Hey, it's okay to do well at work. It's okay to have a nice home, a nice car, to be able to go on a nice vacation, to have an HDTV. Sometimes in Christianity we have this kind of oppressive, well, I can't believe you're doing that and you really love Jesus. You have that home and you love... No, you, you can have nice things. You can be successful in your life. Work hard. Pursue those things. But the peace of life, the real goodness of life, it's not going to be found in the collection of stuff. It's going to be found in relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends, your church, that's where you're going to find tranquility. That's where you're going to find the good reward. That's where you're going to find the peace. And so Solomon reminds us, hey, the good reward is found when we refuse to walk alone, when we refuse to constantly be motivated by jealousy of our friend The good reward is found when we have people in our lives that we really care about and love, and they care about us too. That's where you start finding peace whenever you start living your life for relationships. Life is lived in the relationship. And those people that you're trying to impress all the time, those people that you're comparing yourself to and wanting to be like, 
hey, go back to the verses 9, and you actually see them in those verses, but the opposite. Those those people don't care if you fall. They're not going to extend to you a a helping hand. Those people don't don't care if you're alone and cold. They're not going to give you a blanket. Their goal is to overpower you because they want the same thing that you want when you're playing the comparison game. They want to be better than you. So they're out to get you and to put you down. So Solomon says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now hopefully whenever you came in today, you received a piece of rope. Uh, Throughout this month, we're doing some symbolic things to uh, be grateful, to show our gratitude. Last week, we laid the rocks at the cross, and at the time of commitment, uh, you may lay your rope at the cross today, and I'm going to talk about three-strand living and what that means in the last couple minutes here, uh, but, but you, we invite you today, the time of commitment, to lay that piece of rope that you received at the cross. You say, it's my rope. I don't want to lay it down. Okay, if you don't want to lay it down, you can take home your rope, and you can put it somewhere where you see it, and it reminds you of the fact that a, a three-strand rope is not easily broken. What does it mean to live life with three strands? What is three-strand living? Well, strand number one is seeking first the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, we talked about this last week. Our motivation for gratitude is God, Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. When we become a worshiper, that is a foundational aspect of life that then floods every other avenue of life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, don't be worried and consumed with all these things. Instead, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you because your heavenly father knows what you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then these other things God will provide in your life. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, whenever he concludes the whole matter, he says, here's the whole conclusion of it all. Uh, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. At the very foundation of what it means to be a disciple, it is to be like Jesus Christ. And so a mature disciple is one that Jesus is invading your life at deeper and deeper levels so that your thinking, your attitudes, your words, your actions, they are changing because of what Jesus is doing in your life. That first strand that is not easily broken is to become that person that is seeking with all your might through the Holy Spirit's power to be like Jesus. You are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you are prioritizing life as well based upon seeking first the kingdom of God. Strand two, receive the blessings that God has given you. I cannot say this enough. Live your life, not somebody else's. Live the life he's given you. Well, you're not the richest man in the world financially, but you may be the richest man in the world in other areas. Live your life. Quit wishing, I mean, love, men, love your wife, not the lady on the computer screen. How stupid it is to be trying to love that lady on a computer screen that you don't even know when you have a real woman in the room next door. Love your wife. Love your family. Love your kids. Believe in your kids. Encourage your kids. 
You say, lads, you don't know my kids. Love them. God gave them to you. You're their dad. You're their mom. You're their aunt, uncle, grandparent. Love your children. Live the life that God has given you. Stay in your lane. Don't look around. Receive the blessing he has given you. Open that hand and say, okay, God, these are the blessings you put into my life. And as you're doing that, take inventory sometime. If you'll look at your life, instead of comparing your life, if you'll just look at your life, you're a blessed person. You are deeply blessed if you'll just dig down and take inventory. So strand one, seek first the kingdom of God. Strand two, receive the blessings that God has given you. And strand three, live your life with people that you love. Live your life with people that you love. You're not an island unto yourself. You need loving relationships. Uh, Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, my girls and I, we took the dog for a walk. We have a one-year-old Labrador, and so uh, every Friday afternoon we try to do something fun together. And so we went out for a walk, and there's a pond out behind the house. And so we were walking around the pond, and man, we were having this all-American moment. You know, we were throwing the tennis ball to the dog out in the pond, and he was swimming out and getting it and bringing it back, and you know, just cool stuff. And then we put the leash on the dog, and we're walking along, and the girls are playing and having a good time, and we're, we're just going around the pond, just enjoying some daddy-daughter time. And uh, we kind of reach around the opposite end of the pond, and, and we're walking, and there's an area where there's a low water crossing, and so I'm helping the girls across it. And, and in the midst of all of this, another dog starts barking at my dog, and so my dog pulls on the leash because that other dog was barking, and my little girls were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They wound up getting between me and the dog, and so the leash hit them, and they went flying over a retaining wall, and they landed uh, on this area that has these big river, river rocks, and it's covered with chain link. So Karis goes flying first, and McKenna comes tumbling after, and uh, luckily, Karis broke McKenna's fall, so she was, she was okay, but uh, uh, Karis hit the rock, and then she hit her head, and so I'm sitting out there, and I'm like, oh no, you know, I'm like, girls, can y'all get up? And they're like, ah! you know, they come and give me hugs, and I'm like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and they're like, Allie, you knocked us down, and you know, that's the dog's name, and you know, they're all, you know, they're like, Daddy, can we go home? And I'm like, yeah, we can go home. And so we walk on back home, and, and I was looking at their face. I was like, you guys got lucky. Y'all didn't get bloody or anything through all this. And as we're walking home, I look, and I see Karis has blood uh, on her hair over here. And so we get on home, and we're cleaning them up, and we're doing the things that a parent does whenever your children fall and trying to love on them and make sure that they're okay. And she just keeps crying and crying and crying and hurting. And then after about an hour, she starts getting nauseous. And so uh, we begin to realize that she's really been injured here. And so uh, that evening, we find ourselves at the uh, acute kids urgent care. And uh, mom stayed home with the baby and McKenna and I took Karis up there. And so uh, it turns out that she wound up having to have four or five staples in that cut. And then uh, she also had a a mild concussion, and so uh, she's dealing with the after effects of a concussion. Her football career is now over, and, uh, you know, it was a horrible day. Uh, as a parent, I talk about how having children is like your heart's running around outside your body, and whenever you see your children hurt and you see 
Karis is just such a sweet-natured little girl, and to have her hurt just, just broke my heart. And so I was sitting with her at the, at the urgent care place, and we were waiting to be released. They wanted to observe her for an hour because they were evaluating whether or not she needed a CAT scan. And so we were waiting to be released, and I was sitting there, and I was remembering this passage that I was going to be speaking on this Sunday where if one falls, the other's there to lift you up. And as, as horrible as it was to see your little girl hurting and to see her crying and in pain, I was so thankful that I was able to be there to lift her up and to care for her and to make sure that she got the treatment that she wanted and to give her a hug whenever she was crying after the staples. And last night before she was going to bed, she just looked at me and she just said, I love you, Daddy. And my heart just melted so much, and the dog came up to her and was trying to make amends, and she looks at the dog, I said, are you still friends? And she looked at the dog and said, yeah, we're still friends, in fact, we're family. Kara says these profound things every now and then. But you know, I was, I was thinking about all of that within the context of family, and how one minute you're out doing fun stuff, and you're fetching the ball and walking and playing, and in the next minute you have a potential tragedy on your hands, and then the next minute you're having to pick one another up and care for one another and take care of each other. And that's where life's lived. In those loving relationships. That's where the peace is found. Hey, I could spend my whole life grabbing after things and chasing things that don't really matter and grabbing a hold of them with both hands and saying, I have to have this. And in the process, I miss out on those moments. I miss out on those loving relationships. Solomon says, you're better off receiving the blessings that God has given you and loving the people in your life. Having the peace and the tranquility and the joy that comes through those loving relationships. If you're living the comparison game, if that's trapped you, my prayer for you today is that you can move beyond. There's a better way to live. Love God. Receive His blessings that He has given to you. And live your life surrounded by people that you love. That's where you're going to find the true joy and the true contentment that you're longing for. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to this time of commitment. During the time of commitment, we invite you to come and lay the rope at the cross as a symbolic act, that you're seeking to be that person that lives beyond the comparison game, that you're seeking to cultivate those loving relationships in your life. It may be that during this time you need to make a decision. I'm here at the front row. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, if the Lord is leading you or you and your family to be a part of this church, if today is the day that you need to be saved, I would be glad to pray with you and talk with you about that. It's a time where we worship, a time where we pray, a time where we respond to what we have learned from God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that we have. Help us, Lord, to be grateful people. Father, help us not to evaluate ourselves through others. But help us, Lord, to realize that we are dearly loved by you. That you've blessed us with everything that we need to be thankful. 
So, Lord, help us to receive it. Father, we pray that you will take care of those needs in our life. And we also, Lord, pray that we might have a hand that's open to love our spouse, to love our children, to be a good son, a good daughter, to care. Lord, help our church to be a church that cares for one another. Father, may the love that is displayed here flow through our communities, flow into our homes, and draw others to you. In Jesus' name.